Well, good morning and welcome back. We're going to continue our study of uh, the book of Revelation. And I know it's Reformation Day and in God's providence, this landed really well in terms of what I want to talk about in terms of salvation belongs to the Lord, which is the theme of scripture, arguably, and the theme of our life. Um, And as a pastor said in the sermon today, the Protestant Reformation really kind of recovered a robust view of salvation and summarized it in the five solos, right? We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, and according to the word of God alone. And that should be really clear in the passage that we're going through today, in particular when we look at chapter 7 of the book of Revelation. But just want to remind us where we're at. We were looking at the seven seals, and we noticed that the first four were what was happening on earth or what was going to happen on earth, that they were going to be unleashed uh, from the throne room to be able to do certain things in a limited perspective on earth between the tick of Christ's first coming and the talk of his second coming. And the camera angle of the first four seals is what was going on on earth. And we remembered that what is characteristic of the age? How do we know that we're in the last days? Well, there'll be wars, there'll be rumors of wars, there will be bloodshed, there will be famine, there will be persecution. First century, fifth century, seventh century, 12th century, 17th century, 21st century. Those things are true. We're between the tick of Christ's first coming and the talk of his second coming. We live in the last days, we live in the last hour, we live in this present evil age, and the next thing that we're expecting, that we're waiting for, that we're longing for, is the return of the king as we look on the horizon, uh, waiting for him to come. And then we noticed that there was a turn from what had happened going on on earth to what was going on in heaven. And we wanted to be able uh, to note that. Turn, if you will, keep your Bibles open to Revelation. Revelation chapter 6. So after the fourth seal, they were the four horsemen of the apocalypse going out, not at some future time in this present age. God's wrath is already being revealed. There's already wars. There's already rumors of wars. There's already famine. There's already trials. There's already tribulation. There's already all kinds of things going on. And then we hear the fifth seal. Chapter uh, 6, verse 9. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar. So now not on earth anymore, right, in heaven. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? So they're recognizing there's still more to come, right? Even though they're in heaven, they still recognize there's still more coming. How long before you avenge our blood? And they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants, until their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And so we kind of looked at this last week, so I just wanted to summarize it. So last week we looked at the reality of the four horsemen of the apocalypse out on earth, and he sees this vision of the fifth seal. Hey, what's going on? in heaven while this is going on on earth. And underneath the altar, in a place of position, in a place of protection, in a place of the presence of the Lord, they're crying out, how long, O Lord? Their prayer is, how long until 
the whole thing's over, until our blood is avenged, until the wicked are completely separated from the righteous, until we have our resurrected bodies even. They know that this is good and this is great and that this is lovely, but there's still more to come. And so they're in a place of safety. They're the ones who have died already during the tribulation. All of our brothers and sisters who have already died are with the Lord. Our sister Brockmuller is with the Lord. She's at peace in a way that we are not. She's joining the chorus of how long, O Lord, until all of your saints are gathered in, until all of the wicked are put at bay, finally. And she joins that chorus. But we see this, uh, John sees this vision of this, this place where they are safe under the altar. They are crying out for how long that God's wrath will be fully revealed and God's salvation will be fully revealed. And they have a provision given to them. They've been given a white robe. And we recognize that the white robe is a gift that's given to them. It recognizes, it symbolizes purity. It symbolizes holiness. We read in the passage also that it's by, because they were washed in the blood of the lamb. What does the white robe symbolize? Christ. His perfect sacrifice. His atoning death on their behalf. And previously we'd seen the image of the lamb that was slain, right? Dripping with blood in essence before the throne room. He's the one who's worthy to open the seals that we're now hearing opened. And so he is risen. He is resurrected. He has ascended. He has conquered. He has conquered Satan, conquered sin, conquered death. And then the saints that are there have been given white robes. In other words, their sins are washed away and they've been given the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. They are his now and always. And so that's the image that we see in the fifth seal. And we looked at that last week, and now we want to look at the sixth seal. Verse 12 says, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb from the great day of, for the great day of the wrath has come who could stand. So I submit to you, this is the end of the world as we know it. And I told you that my court and I were going to sing R.E.M.'s song, but he didn't show up, so I'm not going to sing a solo. Um, but it's the end of the world as we know it. In the previous seals, you recognize that there was a partial judgment. Uh, some of the grain, some of the earth, some of the people of the earth were killed, a quarter of the people of the earth. This is total. This is cataclysmic. This is universal. This is the end of the world as we know it. Let me flip my notes for a second. These are the signs of the age, the end of the present evil age. Their signs are dramatic, they're overwhelming, they're universal, they're unmistakable, they're cosmic. You're talking about the sky being rolled up as a scroll, you're talking about stars falling down from heaven, right? It's, it's the end of this present evil age, 
and the end of this world as it now exists. We know that there's more after that, but it's the end of this present evil age. And so it's meant to kind of conjure up that image. It's actually drawing off imagery. I told you before when we started the class that it's better to have your Old Testament in, in hand when you go through the book of Revelation rather than the newspaper in your hand to figure out what's going on. And all of these are Old Testament images. Ezekiel 38 talks about the great earthquake as a sign of the end. Isaiah 13 talks about the sun turning black and the moon blood red. Isaiah 13 also says, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I would have put an end to the pomp and the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Isaiah 34 talks about the skies being rolled up like a scroll. It's the end. Everything else we talked about, I, I drew you that amazing chart last week of the end times. Christ came. Christ is going to return. That's the end time chart. And then in between here is the present evil age, the age in which we're living, the tribulation, which John said he's a partner in the tribulation. And so we're saying now it's this. What John sees in the sixth seal is this. The king coming to judge the living and the dead, which we confess every week in either the apostles or the Nicene Creed, that this is going to happen. And note a difference. In the fifth seal, when we were looking at the saints in heaven, they cried out to the Lord. How long, O Lord, O sovereign Lord, holy and true. They were crying out to God. Note in the sixth seal on earth, what do they cry out to? The rocks fall on us. They're not calling on the creator. They're not calling on the Redeemer. They're not calling on the Sovereign Lord. They're calling on creation to put an end to us. It's so bad. It's so terrible, this great and awful day. And note that it even says that it's the wrath of the Lamb. Isn't that an interesting phrase? We often don't think of lambs as wrathful creatures. (laughs) Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? The great day has come. It's not waiting for another day. The text is telling us that day has come. It's the wrath of the Lamb. They know that they're worthy of condemnation. They know they're worthy of judgment. They know that they're evil and wicked. Romans tells us it's not that people don't know. It's that they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And on that great day, it will be cataclysmic. It'll be unbelievable. And they ask a good question, who can stand? Who can stand in the presence of a holy God? Who can stand in the presence of Jesus, the lamb that was slain? Who can stand in the presence of one who is thrice holy? Holy, holy, holy. Who can stand before the Lord? It's a great question. Unfortunately, the text will answer it for us. But it's a wonderful question. Does anybody have any questions about this before we move on? The sixth seal being the end of the world as we know it.
Let me note one other thing about that. When we talk about how it includes every strata of society. It mentions kings, it mentions great ones, it mentions rich, powerful, slave and free. There are seven things there as well. Right? It's, it's, it's listing seven different things. Kings, great ones, generals, rich, powerful, slave and free. In other words, everyone. Again, this is the totalizing or totalitizing of everything. It's the end of the world. It's the return of the king. And so there's a question that rings out from heaven, how long, O Lord? And the question from earth is, who can stand? And we've already seen an image of one, haven't we? Dr. Horton, in chapter 5, talked about there's one who is worthy to stand. All of heaven was crying out, who is worthy to open these, these scrolls? They were weeping because nobody was found worthy. And then in comes the lamb that was slain. He was standing there, and he's worthy, and he takes the scrolls, and he opens them, and then we have everything that we've heard so far, right? Everything from the time that he ascended into heaven to then, he's telling us about. John's seeing visions of it. And so then the next thing that we want to see is chapter 7 is an interlude. When you hear all of this, it could cause panic. It could cause confusion, right? I've submitted to you before that when non-regenerate people, when non-Christians read Revelation, they should be freaked out. When Christians read Revelation, they should be comforted. Sadly, sometimes it's the opposite. <laughs> Sadly, sometimes Christians are reading Revelation like, Aah! I'm freaked out. What's going to happen? He told you what's going to happen. You're his now and always, and he's coming. And he's coming back to judge the living and the dead, and he will punish the wicked, and those who are his will rule and reign with him forever and ever. I heard one theologian say that the wrong people are getting freaked out by the book of Revelation. <laughs> it should freak out the world. Jesus is coming, the lamb with his wrath. Everyone who doesn't bow the knee to Jesus now will bow it later, and it'll be too late. But everyone who bows now, let's hear a little bit about them. So chapter 7 is an interlude. After you've just heard all of this, and imagine if we just read Revelation in all of one sitting and you heard about the four horsemen of the apocalypse and wars and civil war and bloodshed and famine, a quarter of the earth being knocked out, and then you hear about these people in heaven crying out from, from heaven, and then you see the end of the world, the skies being rolled up and rocks are fall, being falling on people, and the sky is literally falling. What in the world? And this is what we hear next. It says, After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea. So now we're talking about right before this. This is when we said, don't read things chronologically. John's seeing the vision now of something that happened then. Before this. Before the four horsemen actually go out, John's now seeing this vision. 
So it says here, right, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees, all the things that it talked about in the first four seals, until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Nathaliah. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon. 12,000 from the tribe of Levi. 12,000 from the tribe of Ishkar. 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun. 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph. 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing. Who can stand? I saw them standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power, seven things. And might be before our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white with the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb is in their midst of the throne, will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So far, the reading of God's holy word. So what we want to look at is this interlude where the saints are sealed by God. And this really brings out echoes of Exodus, doesn't it? Where there's going to be tribulation or there's going to be persecution. And the Lord put, said, hey, the angel of death is going to come. And how you preserve yourself from the angel of death is to put blood on your doorpost. And the angel of death is going to pass over you. So in essence, there's a seal on your door signifying that you belong to me and the angel of death is going to pass over you. So it brings out images of that kind of thing where uh, blood is applied. It's put forward as a seal to protect those who are, are, are his from the judgment that was to come, the judgment that was to come in Exodus in particular, the judgment of death, the judgment of wrath, the judgment of condemnation. But more than anything, I want you to get that the seal here is the Holy Spirit. Over and over, Scripture talks about the Holy Spirit being the seal. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We confess in the Nicene Creed that the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. 
So the Holy Spirit is what's given to the saints, all the saints we're going to find out, throughout this entire evil age. All of them need the Holy Spirit. Right when the Lord ascended, or just a little bit after, on the day of Pentecost, right, the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh, signifying that we're in the last days, signifying that the promise has come, signifying that the time has come and the promised Holy Spirit has been poured out. And the new covenant promises over and over and over have been, I will take away your heart of flesh, I'm sorry, your heart of stone, and I will give you a new flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I will cause you to obey. The Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates us. The Holy Spirit is the one who calls us. The Holy Spirit is the one who unites us to Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who applies Christ's righteousness to us. The Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies us. The Holy Spirit is the one who seals us. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee. So if you're looking for a greater seal than this, well, I want a chip in my forehead or in my hand or a tattoo, right? We're not looking for some future seal to be put on the foreheads. You've been baptized. A seal's been put on your forehead. You've been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you are his now and always. And there's nothing in all of creation that can ever separate you from his love or separate you from his hand. Not any of these things that come in the present evil age can separate you. People are going around trying to figure out what's this seal that we're going to have in the tribulation when it comes. The tribulation has come, and so has the seal. The seal is the Holy Spirit. There's nothing better that he could give you. The Holy Spirit even gives himself. The Father sends the Spirit. The Son sends the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit willingly comes. There's nothing greater to comfort you during this present evil age than the reality to know that Christ died for you, that Christ is, uh, is your righteousness and that Christ is risen and ascended and ruling and reigning on your, half of, on your behalf and promised to come again. And he sent the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, as a seal, that you are his now and always. The third person of the Holy Trinity dwells in you. That's unbelievable. The spirit that hovered over the deep in creation, the spirit that was with the Israelites in the wilderness, the spirit that was with David, the spirit that filled the temple with Solomon, the spirit that was poured out on Pentecost lives in you. You are sealed. You are signed, you are sealed, and you're being delivered. We confess in Heidelberg 1, right? I'm not my own. But I belong body and soul and life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He's fully satisfied for all of my sins. He delivers me from the tyranny of the devil, and he has sealed me with his Holy Spirit. Now, we're not looking for some future tribulation, and we're not trying to look at our newspapers and try to figure out, well, what is the seal going to be? What's the mark? The Holy Spirit which manifests itself both in belief and in fruit. And if you think about that, right, all the saints during this entire time period need the Holy Spirit, right? And so it's not just, well, some of them near the end are going to get the Holy Spirit because it's going to get really bad. All of them needed it. 
None of them would have come to faith without the Holy Spirit. None of them would have been regenerated without the Holy Spirit. None of them would have been justified. None of them would have been sanctified. None of them would have persevered. They all would have caved. But the Holy Spirit was with them, and they didn't. And so now there's a multitude crying out, how long? How long? Because God, the Father's been faithful, the Son's been faithful, and the Spirit's been faithful to do what he says. And what's their refrain? Salvation belongs to us because we earned it. Right? Is that going to be the end of the age? Salvation belongs to the Lord and to the Lamb. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the word of God alone, for the glory of God alone. There's no boasting. What could we possibly boast about this? And so John's seeing a vision where it's saying, hey, hold back. He's saying to the four angels, hold back this on these people. Make sure that they get the seal so that they can endure, so that they can persevere. So that even though their bodies, the body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still, Right? To die is to be in the presence of the Lord. Though they may kill you, that's not the worst thing that can happen to you. It's bad. I don't wish death on any of you. But death isn't the worst thing that can happen to you. The worst thing that can happen to you is to die apart from Jesus Christ. The worst thing that can happen to you is to get to that judgment day and not be sealed by the Holy Spirit. And not be clothed in a white robe that is Christ's righteousness, not your own. Not to be washed in the Lamb. That's the worst thing. You will be crying out with the rocks, fall on me. I want this to end. And it won't. But those of you who are in Christ will be singing, salvation belongs to the Lord and to his lamb forever. Praise be to the Lord, right? So this is what is going on here in space and time. The angels are being held back so that the seal of the living God can be poured out on them. The Holy Spirit, don't miss it. If you don't take anything else away, reflect on the reality of the Holy Spirit today and the reality of your baptism. We sometimes think baptism is just a little ritual that we do. It's a means of grace. A promise has been sealed to you. And that's why it's so bad when our kids walk away from the faith. It's not because it doesn't mean anything. It's because like Esau, they're spurning their birthright. Their birthright is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we call on our covenant children to embrace the Lord through faith. They should be terrified if they walk away from that. They should rejoice when they embrace that. They've been baptized. They've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And so then everyone wants to know, all right, what about these 144,000, right? Let's get to the good stuff. I see, to admit to you, the good stuff was the Holy Spirit. The 144,000. There's various views. The first view, just briefly, is that it's a precise, literal, exact number. 144,000 people. This is only held, as far as I know, by Jehovah's Witnesses. 
Jehovah's Witnesses believe that only 144,000 people will spend eternity in heaven. They further teach that this number was already achieved in 1935, so that believers after that date, sorry mom, uh, will not enter heaven, but will make up the blessed multitude on earth. <laughs> That's a cheap shot. Um, sorry. They further teach that this number was achieved in 1935, so that believers after that date, which includes me, uh, will not enter heaven, but will make up the blessed multitude on earth. So they still think they're going to be blessed, but there's going to be 144,000 saints. That number's already been achieved in glory in heaven, and the rest, which are many, will be here on earth. That's the Jehovah's Witness view. Another view is that 144,000 Jews will be spared to evangelize during a literal 1,000-year tribulation. So another view is that 144,000 people, Jews, are going to be saved to evangelize during a literal 1,000-year period of the tribulation, which I submit to you, we're already in the tribulation. And John already said we're in the tribulation. He said he is a partner in the tribulation. And Jesus said it, and John said it elsewhere. So that's the other view. And then the other one is that 144,000 represents national Israel. Jews. 144,000 Jews. So those are three of the most predominant views. I submit to you from the text and from what we know of Scripture elsewhere, we use Scripture to interpret Scripture, that the 144,000 equals true Israel. It equals all the people of God. Jew or Gentile, slave or free, barbarian, Scythian, all of them. How many of them are going to need the seal, beloved? All of them. And so this is saying all of them. Well, where do you get that number? And there's a misprint on your handout. I would say it represents the 12 tribes of Israel, Old Covenant, the 12 apostles, the New Covenant, times 10 to the third power. I mean, just a magnitude. And it's not just like meaning 144,000, right? I mean, you can go to a soccer match in England, oh, sorry, a football match in England, and see more people than that in one place. But it's talking about just this massive number of people. It's talking about everyone. How many of Christ's sheep are going to be lost, beloved? None. How many of them will need the Holy Spirit in order to be saved? It's talking about all of them. Not one of his is going to be lost. The 144,000 equals the fullness of God's people. All who are given need and rejoice in being sealed by the Lamb, uh, be sealed by the blood of the Lamb and sealed by the Holy Spirit. So it's referring to all of the elect. It is thus the perfect total of Israel, the true Israel, the people of God, the promised people. And so this, you know, gets into some of the discussions then between an amillennial view, a postmillennial view, a dispensational view, or, or what have you. That we would say there's not two tracks, right? There's not the Israel track to heaven and the church track to heaven. God made a promise to Abraham that in you all the nations will be blessed, right? 
And the church isn't an afterthought or a second thought. The church is the fruition of the promise. The wild branches, the Gentiles, are grafted on to the true branch, and the full number is there. Everyone who calls out on Jesus is a son of Abraham. Galatians tells us that. Ephesians tells us that. Romans tells us that. That's not us putting something into the text. The promise to Abraham was in you, all the nations shall be blessed. And then John's seeing a vision here. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, from all peoples and languages standing before the Lamb. This is what the text is indicating, not only here but throughout all of the book of Revelation and trying to tell us that his people are safe and secure, all of them, throughout all ages. And it's only through Christ, the central figure of the book of Revelation, and through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Does anybody have any questions about that? Comments? Yes. It's not talking about necessarily in space and time, but the next thing that he saw. Like that's what we're talking about, about being careful with chronology. This is the next, like I was submitting to you this. He saw, after he saw visions one, uh, and seals one through six, but he's still talking about this time period. He, he can't just relay you all the messages at the same time. He's picking an order in which to tell them to you. So this is referring to this entire time period. But there is both the start of it and the end of it, to your point. So some of the saints are already in heaven crying out how long, and we're still waiting, and their cry, right, indicates we're still waiting for the fullness. We're waiting for all of them, and then he'll come again. So I think you're seeing, sometimes when we think of prophecy, we think of it like an accordion, where, you know, if you stretch it out, uh, yeah, stretch it out and push it in, like it's got different horizons. So it's talking about both the saints that are already in heaven, but it's also looking forward to all of the saints at the end of time. But it's highlighting the reality. The big takeaway is that all of them are saved. All of them are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Our brothers and sisters who are going to come after us. And some of our brothers and sisters are already already in glory, crying out how long. One other thing, I'll just take a, a second, that may help with this on an exegetical standpoint because people do have a challenge with this. If you think it's just Israel, let me just make a few notes. Why not take this as an obvious reference to national Israel and to the next image to the Gentiles or Jews and Gentiles together? First, the context is highlighting the need for all of God's servants to be sealed. It's enumerating them one by one serves to emphasize the completeness of the number of God's servants and saints. And the letter is written to comfort the churches. 
But second, this list of tribes is unlike any other tribe list in Scripture. So if you go through that, you know, 12,000 from here, 12,000 from here, that list doesn't appear anywhere else in Scripture like that. You're going to say, well, I recognize all these names. Sure, but not in a list and not like that. So for instance, the list is not technically or strictly even a list of the tribes of Israel. These are not Jacob's sons. For instance, Manasseh is Jacob's grandson. He's included through Joseph, but he's not one of, the, 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 one of them. Dan isn't even mentioned, and Levi was not given a portion of the land. And note that Judah is listed first. Who is the firstborn son? Reuben. I wonder why Judah would be listed first. Go back to Revelation 1. The lion of the tribe of, wait for it. Isn't that interesting? So the list doesn't follow any other list. That should be signaling to you, hey, something's different here, or it might be here for a different reason or a different purpose. And it's because it's not just talking about national Israel. It's talking about the promise to Abraham of the true Israel, which is Jews and Gentiles together. All throughout Scripture, in type and shadow, and really clear in the New Testament. Read Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 makes it really clear. So it's talking about that. Does that help a little bit, Angela? Yeah. The, second, the next thing I want to just mention is the privilege of the sealed in glory. In verse 9 he says, After this I looked, and behold... A multitude, a great multitude that no one could number. Just after it had said, well, there's 144,000. <laughs> so you get like, it's just trying to, a huge, massive number that can't even be, be numbered. What did he tell Abraham? More than the sands of the seashore, more than the stars in heaven, right? Here's a multitude that can't even be counted from all the tribes of the peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. What was the great question? Who can stand? What's the great answer? All of them who belong to Christ. All of them who have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. All of them who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb can stand. It's victory through faith. A faith that's created by the Holy Spirit, right? Faith isn't even your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works lest anyone should boast. They're standing before the throne and the Lamb. They're clothed in white robes, which is a symbol of purity and victory and justification. And they have palm branches, right? Representing victory. They're crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And to the voice of the saints is added the voice of the angels, now praising God for this amazing salvation. And John, the elder, to John says, who, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? Sir, you know. It's always great. You know. Whenever someone asks you a question, well, you know that. These are the ones coming out of the tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's a marvelous paradox. They're standing in white robes, robes that have been washed in the blood of the Lamb because Christ's 
blood is the perfect and atoning sacrifice for our sin. And every week when we come, we hear the word of God. We receive the promises. We come and participate in the Lord's Supper. This blood was shed for you. This body was broken for you. Take, eat, remember, and believe. He's coming again, and he's coming soon. And so we recognize the great privileges and these great benefits. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him night and day. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. And then there's going to be these no mores, no more hunger, no more thirst, no more scorching heat, no more tears. We're still waiting for the fullness of that, like Angela's question, right, in the accordion. Our brothers and sisters who are there now have many more blessings than we do, but they're still waiting. They're still waiting the end of all warfare. They're still waiting for the time when they're going to have resurrected bodies. They're still waiting when we won't be suffering in this present evil age anymore. And then I'll just end on this. The opening of the last seal. Everyone wants to know, what's the deal with the seventh seal? In verse eight, uh, chapter 8, one says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. The sign is silence. Our lives are so filled with noise. This may be very surprising. It may be perplexing. It's meant to be attention-grabbing. It's meant to be thought-provoking and awe-inspiring. The whole vision, if you picture everything that we've read in Revelation, particularly the seals so far, as a, a, a movie where you have visuals and a soundtrack, it's just a cacophony of sounds and images, isn't it? I don't know if any of you still use Pandora. I still use Pandora. And on my Pandora <laughs> station, I have a soundtrack, movie themes. I love to listen to movie themes and scores. And listen, like, listen to what's happened thus far. This would have been the soundtrack that John heard. Thousands of thousands of angels singing, holy and holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. John weeping being the only sound he heard when no one was found worthy to open the scroll. A new song filling the heavens when the lion of the tribe of Judah and the triumphant lamb standing appears. Then the sound of angels calling uh, horse, horsemen to come, unleashing temporal judgments on the earth. The sound of earthquakes, the sound of falling stars, the sound of a skyquake, the sound of mountains and islands being leveled, the sound of the earth being rolled up like a scroll, a loud cry from heaven, how long, O Lord, before you come? A loud cry from the earth, calling on the rocks to kill us, to fall on us. Who can stand in the great day for the wrath of the Lamb is come, and a vision of the whole number of the elect praising God, and then silence. For half an hour. Most of us thought that was too long. <laughs> when is he going to say something? Most of us don't have any true silence in our life. It's just so filled. The end of the world as we know it. And the next thing John experiences is a silence. Meaning it's over. Don't think, oh, it's literally 30 minutes. I don't know. 
but the image is unmistakable. It's just a cacophony of sound and sight and vision. And then we're saying it's the end of the world as we know it. John realizes now that all of the people who belong to the Lord have been sealed and they're safe and secure. Silence. It's meant to comfort the people of God. It's meant to bring fear and repentance into those who don't know the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we... Thank you that you are merciful and that you take the initiative to save us. We wouldn't have come to you. We wouldn't have run to you. We wouldn't have trusted you. We wouldn't have believed you. We wouldn't repent. We wouldn't have faith if it weren't for you. If it weren't for you sending your son to die on the cross for us, to pay the penalty for our sin, to endure the wrath that should have been poured out on us, but was poured out on him and is coming on all who don't turn to you. And then he also lived a life of perfect righteousness, and that righteousness is credited to our account as if we had done it ourselves. And Father, we haven't discovered this on our own. It's not because we are brighter or better or smarter or luckier. It's because we are blessed. It's because we are chosen, because we are gifted by you through the Holy Spirit to have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that believes and hands and feet that are eager and willing to do your will now that we're part of the new creation. We have been reborn. We have been regenerated. We are not our own. We belong to Christ, and we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee, the seal of our salvation. And Father, I pray that in this present evil age, when there's so much that threatens to undo us and so much that can scare us, that we remember some of these visions of the peace, of the tranquility, of the promise, and of what's to come. And I pray that we be gracious and bold to share the good news of Jesus Christ with our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen.